It's not about the test. It's never about the test. It's about the growth and learning of the experience that you're having. And so if you can properly grow and learn from this experience and still have an outcome that you feel good about, because not only did you grow and learn a ton, but you were actually able to apply some of the growth and learning from your training to then put it together and feel it well on race day, on event day, on test day. Well, then that's the sweet spot. But the first outcome should be the growth and learning. I seek to inspire weekend warriors, part-time or professional endurance athletes, and everyone in between to answer the call to adventure in whatever way it presents itself, to live boldly and respectfully in nature, and to move through the cruxes and problems of life and sport with presence, intention, and community. More simply put, I hope this podcast, my communication style, as well as my coaching inspires you to be the hero in your athlete story and to follow your bliss wherever the path of endurance may take you. Welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, AIM Coach, and this is episode 163. In this episode, we discuss pieces of my marathon swim preparation, mindset, fueling, and logistics. Since this recording, I've done the swim attempt and I will do a full review, a story, paint a picture, the full narrative of what happened on a future podcast. The main part of this episode is about how to make a 50k race plan. Though most of it applies to 50 mile and 100k events, as well as sub ultra trail distances, David had a 50k coming up. So we use that as an example of what to think about for planning an ultra race. And we go deep into the fine points of strategy, nutrition, hydration, and course mindset. I love this part of prepping an athlete for their day ahead going through the vision of how they see their day unfolding for them. And as they close their eyes and work their way through their day, catching them and working with them to cover the blind spots, to go over things that could go wrong, how to control the uncontrollables and stay within the strategy and mindset and importantly, the execution of your day. Because as we all know, in endurance, there's a lot that will go wrong. And if you can stay on the plan, stay with the execution, keep your willpower intact, keep the distance and the finish line in mind, you will be successful. Because there's so many variables that can go wrong. And you staying on the course, on the path towards your execution of your strategy, you will have a good day. Keep in mind the most important aspect of managing your way through an ultra endurance event or an endurance event, I use this mantra a lot for Ironman racing, is that managing your impulses long enough to avoid getting in your own way, right? We feel certain things during the event that we want to take action on, those impulses, but we need to manage them long enough and stay on the strategy and executing the strategy that we laid out prior before emotions and uncontrollables and the day was getting to us. We want to execute that objective strategy. Avoid getting in your own way, managing your impulses long enough to avoid getting in your own way. On a future episode, we will use this race as an example for how to do a race debrief, how to extract the learnings after each and every event. If you want to skip ahead to a certain part of the episode, timestamps are in the episode show notes. So with that being said, we'll dive right into this episode 163 of the Weekly Word Podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Please give us feedback if you have any. And of course, please let us know of any topics you would like me to discuss, you would like guests on for them to discuss with me, or some banter back and forth that David and I can discuss on a future podcast. Thank you so much and enjoy.
How's it going, Chris? <laughs> What's new in your life? No. <laughs> I know no. you love this topic. We're not <laughs> talking about that. yourself. We're not doing that. <laughs> yes, I do not enjoy talking about myself. Well, you're swimming and you're getting ready to swim across Lake Tahoe. Anything else new or is that it? No, that's going uh, quite nicely. I'm progressing quite well. I swam nine miles the other day in Lake Sonoma or just under 10 for four hours. And it was amazing. I felt fantastic and uh, I could have gone longer. But the only issue I would say so far isn't the fitness. It isn't the water temperature. It isn't, you know, working out all the logistics. It's that it's boring. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It's like a treadmill. Well, better than that. But... No, it's, uh, it's, it's different because you can't listen to anything or can't look at anything, right? You're not having a conversation with anybody. You, and I can't go Zen swimming yet. Maybe I will, but it's, I'm just sort of staring into this blackness and every other stroke turning my head and then seeing sunlight and blue skies and the shore. But beyond that, nothing happens. And of course, as you get more um, used to this type of process, training, time does go by quicker, but it's still um, yesterday or yesterday, Sunday was four hours. I was like, well, wonder what 10 hours will be like. But that being said, when you swim four hours, you can start projecting your mind out to what 10 hours might be and sort of gives you a little bit of insight, uh, confidence, hope. <laughs> uh, because as we said, hope is uh, will and a way, right? So I obviously have the will to do this. And um, now I'm starting to see a way of how it will unfold and uh, get it will unfold, will way, how, no. Um, and so, Work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so wills, as, as we talked about, will is our goals. And obviously I have that goal, that objective in mind to do it on August 11th. And uh, I'm not too worried about that unfolding the way I believe it should, but more the way now. Um, not only past ways it's worked, and, but also the small successes that I talk about. And that was, for example, this past weekend, a four-hour swim, a small success that, you know, lightly loosens the fog of your perspective, your view ahead. Um, and that's why ever, every time I get a chance to swim long and do something like that, it clears a little bit more fog on how this event how this adventure is going to look for me. I mean, of course, others have done it, and I'm, I swim and train with a bunch of guys who've done it before, so I get that insight, but I also uh, have to have it work for me and how I see myself doing it, and we're all different. So the most important part of this process, once again, has been the learning and the growth, and I've been learning a ton, and I've been growing a ton in that understanding endurance swimming and immersing myself in that has been fun because it's just, again, a new adventure, a new experience, new research, new sort of studying things, new connections, new rules. Um, I was on the phone with the Lake Tahoe Swimming Association um, the other week and just all the rules and the little things that you have to pay attention to and the conditions and who's on the boat and how the kayaker works and what happens if there's midnight wind um, storm and chop and getting people off the lake. And like, it's a whole different ball game that when you think, oh, I'm just going to swim across Lake Tahoe, you think, oh, wake up at sunrise, get in the water, start swimming, be done at sunset. Well, no, it's not that easy, especially that every day on the lake, there's a, a wind um, advisory, especially in this high summer like that, mid-August. And those, that chop can go one to two feet. So if you're having a one to two foot chop while you're out there, you can't have a kayaker. You're pulling them because that's you know, they're not able to go that slow. Your boat needs to get out of there because it can't go that slow as I'm swimming. That shop is just rolling that thing around. So it turns into this whole different equation, which had me realize that I'm probably going back to starting at midnight versus what my original intentions were to start at like 4 a.m. So I still have to see the exact details on that and I can study weather maps and the weather of that week and make that call maybe. But 
you know, I don't, I want to put myself in a position where the success is highest. And of course, water temperature doesn't change overnight. The water is the water temperature. It's sort of like Lake Tahoe Ironman a couple of years ago. The air was 29 and the water was 68. <laughs> so it was sort of fun. So we all got in our wetsuits, headed down to the water. There's snow and ice all around us. And we get into this, uh, you know, steaming um, water that's coming up from Lake Tahoe at, at Kings Beach. Wow, the mountainsides around Tahoe are all covered in snow, and yet we're going into water that almost you're overheating in, and in, in a wetsuit. And so, how is that even possible? I mean, it's, it's a bizarre a solar panel, I guess. But well, again, overnight, no matter how cold it is, it's not going to um, drop that much in temperature. It's just such a warm body of water. It mm. through the many months of warm, right? And so overnight. Okay, so it had been warming prior for months. Okay, it's a capacitor. Yeah. It's a battery. Um, exactly. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's part of all the equation right now. And those are the logistics and details that now that we're in June and sort of eight weeks out uh, tomorrow, <laughs> two months out tomorrow, um, start you know happening again. It's just part of the process for self-curated adventures and things like this, that you're, you're doing all the details that you usually don't have to do in an organized race and uh, where you sort of pay, you do a few things and show up. Mm -hmm. Whereas, uh, as many people know over the last year with, uh, COVID self-curated adventures require a different type of, uh, planning, logistics, mindset, support. Um, pre-event planning where you may be doing drops and things like that. So it's a whole different equation. But once again, it, it always puts you in a place of this is what my adventure will be like. And that's half the fun, right? Because you're constantly, as you're going through the logistics, as you're envisioning how the day will unfold and going through all the scenarios for your crew and the people involved with your event, you are also immersed in the event and almost living it already before the event has really happened. And that makes it even more fun and something you and I actually don't talk about enough about with regards to the journey um, of training and the process. And that is exactly what I was just saying. Because we're out there living the small victories, those small successes constantly with long training runs, um, simulation weekends, you know, big training weeks, those all put us into the experience of what we're going to be doing in the future. So we're already getting a bite of that cake, right? Um, each time we go out and train like that. And that's something that can't or shouldn't be overlooked because sometimes, many times, those small bites are actually taste better than the entire cake. I'd agree to that. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, there's many people that enjoy the journey more than the outcome. That, that, that's cliche, and it's also come up a lot. Actually, it's coming up too much, what we're seeing on the other side of COVID right now. Yeah. Why but, do events? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that being said, it's also understanding the appreciation and the gratitude in the moment of how special it is, what you're doing, and the training, and why it's so enjoyable. And again, when we sign up, when we hit enter on events or when we had enter on events, we immediately connect by connecting our finger to that enter button. It puts us into this powerful state of closing our eyes and seeing ourselves doing it from those fancy pictures on the website and seeing yourself run through those scenes that they put on the website or seeing yourself actually doing that Ironman and so forth. Um, the pictures aren't really that great of the website, so uh, you have to sort of envision it, but yet Every long training day, we want to realize and hopefully do realize that this is part of that vision unfolding and we already get a micro dose of that experience. And those micro doses add up and that's a really powerful place to be. Wow. Where to begin? Well, you just did a four hour swim uh, on your little orange floaty buoy that you drag around with you with mm -hmm. your belt. Well, I had a kayaker. You have a kayak. Oh, yeah. okay. So that person was giving you all your food and water. He had, he was giving me food and water. At this time, I switched to Chews and, and a bar, sorry. Or Cliff Chews or Goo Chews? Probably Cliff, uh, Cliff Chews. Yeah, I use Cliff Chews. Um, and then uh, 
and one bar, but the bar I had when we stopped at the turnaround um, versus uh, while you're swimming or while you're rolling over on your back. Remember, you can't touch the boat. You can't get any assistance. Yep. He has to sort of throw it to you. So currently he just throws it into my little buoy that I pull. Hmm. And from hmm. that, like a little um, sea otter, I roll over on my back and put my two hands together <laughs> and make cute Instagram videos. Exactly. <laughs> and I nibble on my little cliff blocks <laughs> straight out of a straight out of Nat Geo. Is it like baseball where you shove a cliff block into the back of your mouth between your teeth and your gum and you're like, what do you do with those things? I mean, they take forever to get through. Yeah, but I I just stop. I tread water and uh, okay, okay. Like that. Yeah, yeah. It's and just then more water, you... of getting that down um, versus because different than I'm not sure how different, but different than cycling and running. Even if you have a little bit of food in your mouth, you can still you know move on with swimming. <laughs> nope. You know, you're breathing in. I don't, I don't know. It just doesn't seem to work the same way. No, like, you I, can't really. I, there's chew. food. And, and chewing while breathing doesn't sort of work. Yeah, but you're not going the liquid sugar route, which is interesting, given this is the perfect case for that. It would be a lot of ultra swimmers do the you can and the tailwind concoction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, And as everybody knows, who's either coached by me or has been listening to this long enough, um, there's no way um, that I will do that type of concoction uh, just because I'm not a believer in it. And again... this is an adventure to be achieved. Um, I'm not looking to break any records. And so therefore there's that aspect. So when I need to eat, I will roll over on my back and eat and um, actually have that mental break too. (laughs) Because just communicating with a human being after staring at blackness for that many hours Mm -hmm. is uh, nice. And trust me, I mean, again, I swam nine miles uh, in three hours and 45 minutes. Um, So a little bit over nine miles in, in four hours so therefore i stopped and started warming down at nine miles because that was my intention so i was still too far from the dock so it turned out to be like nine and a half miles but my point here is that um my pace is comfortable in the 120s um you know 118s the 120s so if i swim that i mean you got to figure that's a 55 minute ironman swim that's 2.4 miles in 55 minutes. And so yeah. it's always under an hour comfortably. So if I, let's say, stop every hour for five minutes and eat, which I'll probably do in two segments, every 35-ish minutes, 30 minutes, and stop for two minutes and eat, um, you know, that puts me at 2.4 miles an hour. If you do that math, that puts me at 24 miles in 10 hours, which means I'm comfortably under 10 hours if I keep that pace. I kept mm-hmm. that pace comfortably for four hours. Sure. Same as in ultra running. What happens after four hours, I'm sure, is where the reality really hits. Um, so yeah. we'll, we'll find out. But this weekend, I was on pace for you know eight hours, 18 miles. Um, and so another two hours for the final 2.5 miles. That's comfortable. That gives me an hour leeway if I swim that pace to swim 10 hours. So again, eh, I'm not too worried about it. The record is like 9.15. I have no interest in even having that conversation, thinking about it, nor do I care, <laughs> quite honestly. like <laughs> um, The real record, to say that differently, is eight hours and 45 minutes um, by a girl. And she... You know, she's a swimmer, 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 meaning younger and faster than this 52-year-old self. And uh, so, therefore, I'm not, I have no interest in that, nor do I need that part. So, Yeah, why stress about it? Exactly. So, therefore, back to the you can and the tailwind and the, the drink approach, it's more just a question of I can get in solids. I can stop for a moment, for a minute or two or three, um, have that conversation do that check-in, see how things are going, have the body scan, make sure everything's okay, get a sense of what's going on with my crew and what they're trying to convey to me and my pace and whatever, all those things, and then resume swimming. And I think those breaks are way um, more beneficial than people recognize in some of these ultra-endurance events because just that reset, that break, um, and then to be able to hold the next 
hour steadier because you had that moment of clarity, that moment of checking in, of scan, that's important versus 20 minutes later still being like, you know, you're just rushing through. It's like in triathlon, rushing through transitions. You don't want to 20 minutes later be like, oh, I forgot to grab, you know, my second bottle or I left my race belt in T2 or, you know, things like that. Or I put my helmet on the wrong way around. Seen that happen too. <laughs> An arrow helmet being worn the wrong way around. Yep. Yeah. You love mentioning that. I, I used to see ski helmets on backwards, but not on racers. <laughs> and that was always like, Oh, really? <laughs> it's hard You'd to do. Be surprised. You'd be surprised <laughs> the things you see. So uh, I've seen wetsuits on the wrong way where the, the, the zippers in the front. That makes sense though. Cause right? it's like, because people think zippers in the front. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Anyway, but that's, um, I'm going to stick with, keep it with solid foods. Um, I, don't get me wrong. I'll do some gels. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm sure that'll be part of the equation, but again, not combining fluids with fuel. Have you ever tried a spring energy drill? Oh my gosh. Here we go again. Dude, I'm <laughs> telling you, man, everything you talk about that company does <laughs> real <Yes>. food, baby <laughs> food. Okay. Yeah, but no one's going to carry around little glass jars of baby food, <laughs> like a little spoon. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. I've had a spring. I remember. I remember back when they were prototypes and they just had come out. And um, yeah, they're good. Exciting. Just a different type of sugar. <laughs> okay. Cool. Um, well, it's not maltodextrin, so I'm happy. Yeah. But also, you got to be careful with too much sucrose and fructose, too, right? Like, Mm -hmm. At some point, our taste buds fight that too. Yeah, for me, it's more a question, and I've found over the years, it's a question of the consistency. Um, your mouth and your brain just want something to chew on, literally. And um, especially in hot conditions, which, you know, the Kona locations and the Malaysia locations and the South Korea locations with temperatures in the 110s to 120s with 100% humidity, um, then your plan's out the window, right? Because A, uh, your gel is boiling in its packet <laughs> and it literally touches your tongue and it burns. And so that happens a lot in Kona too with people putting their things in special needs bags and those special needs bags at 56 miles in are baking in the sun on a grass field outside of a school on a Ooh. church lawn and yeah. you grab your bag and what's in there has been baking for three, four hours. You can and do so, one of those, uh, like cooler bags, right? Yeah. They, you, that won't work. Not in those temperatures in the lava okay. fields and th so forth. I mean, melt your freezer bag. <laughs> I mean, you got to figure it's, you know, it's 80 okay. degrees at 7am. So like how in the sun, that means quickly in a tropical location, you know, perfect example is your Garmin computer on a bike, right? Like the air temperature might be 85, but you hit temperature on the Garmin. It says 115. Why? Cause mm -hmm. that's what the sun's hitting. It, blazing in the sun, right? Yeah. So yeah, that, and again, it's the length of time that stuff is brought up there at 6am. So it's lying in the sun all for five hours, right? Cause it's got to get up there. It's got to before the, the whole swim time and the time to bike up there to 56 miles. So for most that's 11 to 12am. So it's been baking in the sun for four to five hours. Good luck. Most people freeze their bottles in Kona solid freeze them but the problem there then is that uh that pops them it pops the mm -hmm. expand the lid. yeah and then uh yeah and the temperature differential and bleh, creates this disgusting outcome your whole bag is just one big block Ugh. of water cool exciting glad i'm doing kona <laughs> yeah but just keep that in mind with your gels too i mean in general even with spring i mean if that's just going to be somewhere exposed in the sun i mean do me a favor, just leave a couple of spring energy gels on your car dashboard when you go for a four hour run in the sun and then eat one of those when you get back. Ew. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, but that's what happens. After, 
after five, six hours, like how is your gel going to feel if it's, you know, on your body and that long and exposed to the sun? It's just at some point, yeah. the tolerances change. And again, you just want to have other solutions. It's great sure. to be um, on a specific product, but, and then, and it works, but I like to know that I have different solutions. Like even today, Goo sent out, um, you know, their, three competitors doing Western States, um, in two weeks and what their nutrition plan is. And, you know, you see in there the same thing, like they all, sure. They rely on the gels for a lot of it, but they have a lot of backups listed. They have to at a hundred. Yeah. Well, shall we talk about races and how to get these kinds of things right in a more specific scenario? Perhaps Chris and I talked about this. I have shadow of the giants. Shadow of the Giants, 50K coming up, and it is going to be 32.75 miles of glorious uh, sequoia trees, and it's just south of Yosemite National Park in California, so it's going to be at around 5,500 feet elevation, uh, just shy of, what is it, 2,000 meters for the rest of you, and meters, meters, and yeah, so what we've what you and I, Chris, have been doing recently is jumping on a bunch of calls with our athletes and we've been reviewing athletes' race plans for seventy point threes recently. And we go through, okay, what are you gonna do the day before? What are you gonna do the day of? And so for those who have not raced in one and a half to two years, uh, for those who've never done a ultra marathon before and are are excited to finally jump into this crazy world that we inhabit. Let's do a race plan review. So you were sitting there during the race plans going, oh, wait, why don't I think about this? <laughs> why not me? <laughs> yeah, especially after. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A, a lot of FOMO. And uh, <laughs> thanks for that. And after, after Backbone, the 67-mile self-curated event that we did with Billy Yang and a bunch of friends, where I blew up at mile 42 like an idiot, uh, it occurred to me that sometimes having a plan B and a plan C is a good idea. Well, I don't think you're going to forget that this time. <laughs> no, that's not going to be forgotten. All right, let's jump into it. So check the weather. It's going to be 7 a.m. start. This is the world's most average 50K, by the way. So it's around 4,000 feet of elevation gain. It's uh, at 5,500 feet, so it's neither Rocky Mountains nor sea level. It is some fire road. It is some technical. It is not super rocky. It is, again, it is the world's most average 50K. So I think it's pretty representative to talk about this one. Uh, temperature is going to start in the 50s Fahrenheit. It's going to climb to the 70s. Uh, looking at this particular race course and my fitness level and i mean i'm going into this at six foot four and 220 pounds so i'm probably not going to be yes i gained weight i don't know how from running all the time but then it's not fat which is super annoying yeah i'm only up seven and a half pounds i'm close to eight pounds up but i'm trying to do that <sighs> we knew you were never going to accomplish this fat gain though i'm not i've got no that's good i got two more months to gain the remaining seven pounds six seven pounds yeah but that's not what i've noticed either. is weight gain begets weight gain so it gets it gets easier once you get the the that ball rolling <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, it a lot easier to eat the ice cream and eat the pizza right now than it was before. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. The ice cream is actually, those are the two best things you could eat, especially ice cream though. Good. Excellent. <laughs> so, <laughs> excellent. So going in order of climate and then course, and then how I'm actually going to respond to that kind of stuff. So I looked at the elevation map. It's four miles of climbing at around a six degree grade straight out of the gate. And then it does this up and down thing. And quite honestly, it's hardly worth mentioning. It's a pretty friendly course. It's not super steep up, not super steep down, very runnable. Then uh, looking at aid stations, me being me, I took um, the time to put all this stuff into Excel and broke it down into minute detail, including overlapping 
grades. I used Pace Pro on Garmin. And basically, long story short, what I wanted to understand was how long in time it was going to take to go from aid station to aid station, give or take. And so I mapped all that stuff out. And aid stations are between four and six miles apart. Again, this is the world's most average 50K. And my time between aid stations is going to be let's just say something goes to hell, it's going to be an hour and 20 minutes on the long end, and it's going to be 40 minutes on the short end. All right, now we're getting into meat and potatoes. So we have three things that need to be done right, <laughs> otherwise disaster will strike. We need food, we need some electrolytes probably, and we need water. <laughs> so the plan is food, two to three springs. Spring is sponsoring this event. So there's literally spring on every, I know, like I, I did not pick it because of that. Yes, I like spring energy. It's going to be, I'm thinking around 300 calories an hour. It's going to be two to three gels per hour. And so that's two to three per aid station. So each aid station will be my check on, am I eating enough? The water is going to be a crap load. I'm going to carry three bottles and that's going to be uh, 1.5 liters. That's the plan. <laughs> Electrolytes. It's going to be this precision is hydration. Classic. classic. Cool. Uh, what am I doing completely wrong here, Chris? <laughs> not completely wrong. It's it's just it's so fun seeing what transpires on paper and what will transpire in reality. <laughs> so, how do you plan to get in those gels? I'm going to eat them. I'm going to yes. rip the top off with my teeth and then squirt them in my mouth and swallow That is outstanding. That already, you're already way ahead of the game there. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll taste delicious until they don't. <laughs> um, but you said something there, your check-in is by each aid station? What yeah, is that? It's mean? really not. It, that's a stopgap preventative measure. If I get to an aid station and, and realize, oh crap, I don't have, I have one wrapper in my pocket, then I'll be like, oh crap. But I'm going to set a timer on my watch and it's going to beep every 20 minutes. And that's mm -hmm. going to be a signal for both food and water. All right. So right there, um, the people who use timers most often are the people who get GI distress. Okay. Because you're not, you're, you're taking out the main factor, which is partially listening to your body too, right? And you're not well, just forcing food down yeah. because those are the intentions I put on paper and therefore I will execute. Blah. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, I f suggest whether that's 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever you plan to do, and you then do your math and scan and see how you feel and go through what you need. You know, at 20 minutes, if you do tw every 20 minutes, which is great, that's just a, a prompt, a reminder. Hey, am I getting enough water? Cool. Um, am I eating enough? Cool. If you're not, eat. If you are good, or, you know, because it doesn't work out like that, that you're always just eating on 20 minutes or thinking of it then, like you might be walking up the only hill or you might have tripped on something and you're going to walk like three or four minutes just to get your bearings. And you're like, you know what? Good time to eat. Things like that is where you just don't want to stick to too tight and rigid of a schedule. Mm -hmm. So that's to keep in mind. Other places you might be booking right? Like you might be feeling good and you know how the mind just goes, you know, I'm striding, I'm feeling good. Like this is uh, the sensation I've been waiting to finally get to all day. Um, I'm not, you know, starting to mess with a gel right now, which is mm -hmm. fine, right? But as yes. long as you, and you have your backup of 20 minutes later, you're like, all right, I'll, come back. I'll skip this one because this is the part of the course that I was excited to rip. Right. So mm -hmm. that's why you just want to use the 20 minutes as a prompt, as a check-in, um, as a guide, and then move on. And yeah, those aid stations are helpful. But again, as you know, from the past, the, the, the math of what you've done and how you've done it is hard to keep up with after three, four, five hours. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. Um, that is intention A, is to go by feel. And these are simply stop gaps because um, for whatever reason, I will forget to eat for an hour and I will forget to drink water for an hour. And so, yeah. So that, that is good. And stop gaps, use it more as prompts. You're working in sync with it. You're not just going by feel. You never want to just go by feel because guess what? There's days where you wake up and you just don't feel it and not mm -hmm. necessarily effort level and all that, but you just feel full from the first moment on. 
It's bizarre. Like you can't get your breakfast down. You struggle to even drink some water or your coffee. You're just sitting there. It's a nervous stomach, whatever it is, uh, psychosomatically even, right? Where you're just sitting there and like, what? And so now my sensation of the day that I was relying on, that it's been so well or has treated me so well in all my training and past events even, is gone, right? So again, it's you're, you're using all the little tools as... Um, to your advantage, mm -hmm. right? So sensation plus the timer plus your your own math, right? So if the timer, even if the timer's going well, but you still are like, oh, yeah, I said I would eat, but now I didn't, or I didn't hear it because I was yelling at somebody who just tripped me, um, whatever, uh, right? Or there was what a happens to you out there, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> I do the tripping. No, I'm just kidding. I do not. <laughs> Um, whatever. Right. Um, so, and then there's times where, you know, who knows there's a zillion reasons, but my point is more, we, we keep the three in mind. We keep the math, we keep the feel and we keep the timer. Uh, the, uh, the fun thing is watching you on video here and you're just rolling your eyes during this entire thing. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> shoot daggers into my eyes. <laughs> yeah, that makes total sense. I, because it's a 50k there's also a lot of cushion right you can get away with a ton in a 50k that you cannot get away with in a longer distance yeah but you don't know you can't get away with it until it's too late right mm -hmm. 30 miles is still a six hour five hour event right yep yeah i'm um, aiming for six it'll be a little bit faster you know if it's that runnable i'm not yeah. too worried about it being a little bit faster than that but we'll you see. know what i'm saying yeah, yeah. one question mark i have is the altitude it's completely unfamiliar to me um mm -hmm. i've done running at altitude but never racing at altitude not within memory so i don't know how my current body is going to react to that and that's the big unknown you know the book chop wood carry water mm -hmm. it's not about the test it's never about the test it's about the growth and learning of the experience that you're having. And mm -hmm. so if you can properly grow and learn from this experience and still have an outcome that you feel good about, because not only did you grow and learn a ton, but you were actually able to apply some of the growth and learning from your training to then put it together and feel it well on race day, on event day, on test day, well, then that's the sweet spot. But the first outcome should be the growth and learning. And for you at Altitude, quasi altitude the performance drop off at 5500 feet no, is it's not much. Yeah. um but it will it will add up and it's one of those classic scenarios that at that altitude you actually don't feel it as much in the beginning and we tend to um brush it off and then after three four hours we realize the cumulative effect of just a little bit less oxygen to the working muscles and then boom <laughs> <laughs> and then the slowdown begins because you've worked your way um, mentally and physically past the point of um, resilience, where just your willpower starts running out. And <laughs> next mm -hmm. thing you know, now it's like, uh oh. So we want to avoid that. And avoiding that is by observing and gently allowing your body to settle into what the day is 30 miles, 32.75 miles is plenty to have an amazing 20 to 32 miles. And like we say in our triathlon um, race conversations, if you come home on Sunday, yeah, Sunday, um, and say, you know, Chris, man, it was a great race. I felt really good. I absolutely crushed the last 12.75 miles, probably was a little bit too conservative on the first 20. That's a good outcome. Because A, it feels amazing to crush the last 12.75 miles. Yeah. Um, B, you're not going to fall that far behind in the first place so that if you crush the last 12.75 miles, you're going to be way up there, right? Um, things like that. Like the first time I did Way Too Cool, I got a lot of advice by some very experienced, one of the most experienced ultra runner in history, Ann Trayson. And she's like, Chris, just... Chill, just chill the whole time. Chill until the turnaround. Chill until you know the, the this one point on the course, uh, on the top of the course. Until then, until you're back on the single track on the return of the way too cool, 
don't even think about racing. Just run the easy pace that we've been running in Marin together. And that took a lot. People passing me left and right, you know, smacking me on my butt as they're running by on the single track. Like, Chris, what are you doing? Really? And I'm wow. just like, yeah, like just Friendly. taunting me. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it was just sort of like, you know what? I'm going to trust Anne. I'm not going to trust mm-hmm. nobody else. And no, was it my best possible outcome on that day? No. But I tell you, A, my result was way better than I expected. And B, working myself through the field the last 10 miles was absolutely awesome. Agreed. Of course, it's empty. <laughs> There's not a lot of people up there. But my point is more that you start seeing people way out there and you're feeling amazing. You're feeling your best. If your best third of a 50K is the last third, whew, it's an amazing feeling and it just carries over for the next three, four months of training as well. So that's another opportunity to just learn and grow. And, you know, every ultra has a different feel and profile and strategy, but looking by this one based off the elevation gain and also the the weird shape that it is because you don't hit that climb on the return it looks like you just roll it in on the other side of that course it it, uh, sets up for a strong back 10 to 12 miles cool that is something i didn't bring up but i don't know how this is going to go again but my training has been 20 miles feels like nothing and then everything above 20 becomes work and so I think that's how this race will be run as well. 20 miles in easy gear and then turn on the jets. All right. We have it documented um, that that's what your sensation and what logic and rational thinking dictates. Well, yeah, I, I do realize that real life will happen on the race course. And yeah, then I won't real life to will happen on the race course. But just <laughs> when you think the first 20 miles won't be the work and the last 12 will be the work, oh, nothing it always works me. out. That it, right? We've talked about this. Yeah, no, that happened to me at uh, some other 50K I did in different Redwoods up north. And uh, <laughs> the last seven miles was the easiest of the entire day. <laughs> I was like, exactly. come on. This is exactly. crap. Yeah. No, there's, <laughs> there's peaks and valleys that we go through. And again, that's part of the strategy to be prepared for. Knowing that your trials and obstacles are coming, you don't know where they're coming. Where mm-hmm. in this 32.75 miles they're coming, yeah. but they're coming. And being mentally ready to deal with the you know, dragon's breath at that point is fine because guess what? Once you slay it on the other side, there's an easier path and it could happen at mile five. It can happen at mile 17. That can happen at mile 23. Doesn't it's annoying how it happens in the weirdest times or the times you're not expecting or completely reverse of your fitness. But once you at least accept that and realize that going into it, like, the piano is going to drop on me at some point today. A, I want to avoid it. But B, when it does fall on me, I want to at least be able to know, have been prepared for it, and know that there's another side to it that I can continue to run. Cool. Yeah, I can't wait for that. <sighs> drop a piano on me, <laughs> life. Well, you're, again, you're going to get to the race, and you're going to be in the race, and it's going to hit you at like where you thought it was going to be mile 20. It's going to be like mile 12, and you're like... Damn it. I hate it when he's right. But the good thing is if it happens at 12 to 16 that you're just struggling and you're sort of in a negative space, obviously, you know, first thing is eat. Second thing is drink, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. But also it, it, that that's four miles. There's still a ton of race left. Yeah. Right? And the key is to not let that discourage you and more just like embrace it, accept it, live in it, observe it, um, feel it, and then just sort of yeah. All right. This sucks, but it, it's part of the process. It's part of this journey, this mini journey on this day. And I will work through it because there's some fast miles on the other side of this. I know that. Good. Well, I got, it would be, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Compared to when I ran backbone at like lightning pace, um, I feel like I'm going to go into this at a much more reasonable uh, attitude and just try to enjoy the day. And look at some trees and enjoy. No, some no, 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 no. We did. We've gone through this before, <laughs> right? This is not an enjoyable day. And 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 looking at the trees, it's racing. 
Well, you Here know we are again. We've had this conversation. Yes, Luke but- was talking about this though. <laughs> like I murder stuff all the time. I don't have a slow yes. gear. Agree, so. <laughs> but don't talk yourself out of what your strength is. Right? Don't talk yourself out of it. What your what also your values are. If you murder stuff and like to race and get competitive and get all up in your head with it, that's fine. We don't want to lose that. The key though is to. Be the watcher. Detach. Detach. (laughs) Observe. And and notice what's transpiring and then ask yourself briefly, all right, David, okay, it's fine. I'm getting after it. I'm excited. It feels pretty good. Am I missing something? Quick scan. Am I eating? Am I drinking? Am I being smart? Do I know what lies ahead? Of course, I don't know what lies ahead. I didn't run the course yet. But do I feel good about my output now? And do I feel good about my ability to recover in case I hit the wall? The Mm -hmm. piano drops, number one. And two, am I willing to dance this dance now, knowing that if the ego takes a hit on the other side of this effort, that I'm good with slowing down a bit? And that I can close my eyes tonight going, you know what? It was fun to throw a little caution to the wind because I made a conscientious choice too. I did Mm -hmm. the scan. I did the check. And you know what? Good for you then, right? Blow up. That's part of it. Now- I finally have permission to blow up, Chris. This is, (laughs) I've been waiting for this for a long time. (laughs) No, but what happens is eventually the body- puts on the central governor that doesn't want you blowing up. And so you're going to mm-hmm. have, you're going to fight that resistance, the yeah. capital R resistance of it, because it does not want to be uncomfortable. It does not want to face this adversity. It does not want to be in this pain. And so your ability to recognize that, to embrace it and then say, yeah, you know what? Now is when my day begins because I was waiting for this moment and screw you. Here we go. That's racing that's the fun that's the athlete self rolling into the greater version of ourselves right because we know how to deal with that adversity that roadblock that voice that negativity and we say screw you oh, this is gonna be a fun one <laughs> yeah now, I hope. now you're fired up to race <laughs> yeah yeah i wasn't before to be honest it's been a hard block i mean i was phenomenally fit in february and um, don't use that. No, 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 no excuses. Again, like, well, no, can, that wasn't I an can, excuse. That's not where I, I was going with yeah, that. But it's, but yeah, but still, even just that narrative, let's take that off of it, right? Like, what's capable in your body to run for 32.75 miles is a lot more than your head is allowing it to do, despite you wanting to murder somebody, right? Well, not not somebody. I'm a nice person, but as you know, Chris. <laughs> so, you 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 can wake up that day and have a great output. Well, give permission to feel everything. A good day is where you feel everything. A good day is where you have overcome some roadblocks and some difficult internal conversation, because otherwise it was too easy, right? I never forget the events where it all unfolded too easy. Yeah, sure. It's a great day, and uh, they're they're nice to have every once in a while. Versus, I don't constantly. think that's going to happen because I'll just go faster and faster. Yeah, but so. that, which is fine, which is good. You won't leave anything on the course. But the days that unfold too easy, where you're just in flow, mm-hmm. it's it's almost like. Eh. But then again, that's not the right wording of flow because you're on a challenge skill. Um, threshold when you're in flow so that you're actually going hard enough and it's complex uh, complicated enough that you want to do that mm-hmm. but that being said um yeah you want all the emotions of the day you want the ones and twos and the nines and tens don't stay at the five and six all day mm. oh wow that's very different than what i thought you were going to say one thing is controlling the controllables right another thing is to not fully experience it and immerse yourself in it The reason we do races, and this is the other thing coming out of COVID, is we've gotten so careful in everything, right? And part of racing is the unexpected, the uncertainty of it, and other people there, and the course, and competition, and a variety of variables that add complexity to it. And from that standpoint, that's the adventure. 
navigating and pushing yourself um, vigorously, honestly, openly through that challenge. And that includes emotions. And that includes not being completely calculated about it, but throwing caution to the wind. I don't ever go through a race plan with anybody without giving, without pulling the reins off at some point and say, now, if everything's gone well till now, throw caution to the wind. Now it's time to just go. Like at some point, it, we're done. <laughs> like just race. Back half of the half Ironman, get yep. out or of the run. Yeah. Yeah. As far as, as far as gear, as far as kit, not planning on really bringing anything. Just um, talk to me between aid stations because I want to make sure you're not doing that thing. What What do you mean? <laughs> we got to keep that part in the podcast. What What, what do you mean? <laughs> talk to me between aid stations because you want to make sure I'm not doing that thing. What? What? I don't understand. That thing is athletes tend to not pack their vest or their belt or whatever properly because they see, oh, four to six miles between aid stations, therefore I can go minimal. And that's not a good idea, mm -hmm. right? So still pack it as though you're skipping an aid station. You should always be ready. Let's say you're running with a vest. Your vest should hold enough water and enough food, or you should have enough water with you um, and enough food with you that you can skip it. So you're going 10 miles. Which I am not prepared to do, not with three yeah. bottles. That's a hydration bladder. Okay, um, so two bottles is plenty. That means you're drinking the one bottle mm -hmm. in your hand. Where's your other bottle? Um, nothing in hand. I'm gonna have one on my waist, which is also gonna hold my phone, because I got that stupid giant you know, iPhone um, that weighs nine pounds. You mean the, the iPad mini? Yeah, basically with a phone app. Yep. It's great. <laughs> then I have two on the chest, Solomon vest, S lab, the, whatever. The soft, soft ones. Yeah, exactly. What's the one on the waist? It's a Nathan. It's a hard bottle. Yeah. So it's the one you pull out of the holder. Yeah, but it's a half liter. Yeah. So that's your primary water bottle. That's the one you quickly get. So what I would do is I would not use the second soft. I'd have this, the one soft flask. This is how I would race it. Uh -huh. I'd primarily be drinking and finishing that half liter um, between every aid station. That's that's a good amount of water. Four that's and it? six. Jesus. Now, okay, now you're coming in well hydrated, right? You're not coming. You're, so you're good. So if you continue to drink, let's say, so you're coming in fully topped off. The bathtub is full. So you're going four, six, four, six, whatever, six, six, four, whatever, four, four, six. Um, that means you're going for, like you said, 45 minutes to an hour and 10 minutes per bottle. That is good. That is fine. Right? Yeah. That's half of what I consume normally. Well, granted, I'm also dressed in a ton of layers normally. And this time I'm just going to do shirt and shorts, which is very yeah. unusual for me. Yeah. It might be a little on the low side, but what I'm saying is you keep the one in the vest constantly as your backup. And the one in your hand is the one you fill up all the time. And then guess what? At an aid station, as they're filling it up, you grab some more, you drink some of it, and you grab some more. So now you just got an extra, you know, eight ounces right there. Mm -hmm. off you go. Great. Right? Okay. Yeah. That's how I would go about it. Yeah. And it does ensure the thing we learned from Backbone and every other race, which is always have a backup in case you yeah. don't. Yeah. 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 The magical missing aid station. Then food, I mean, that's real easy. I just always have a backup of gels. Yeah. So let's say you, you plan to have three, two to three between. So I would always have, you know, three to four in my thing, right? Because you're going to grab at those aid stations, whatever you lost. Mm-hmm. And then maybe even grab some solids while you're there. You see, ooh, chocolate chip cookie. Yeah, trust the body, trust the hunger cravings. And yeah, yeah I'm not afraid of, um, of trusting that. But it sounds like you're not on the other side of the spectrum where people tend to take too little because they want to race light. You no. are actually planning to race heavier, which is fine. Race um, let's bang on perfect is where yeah. I'm trying to be. Yeah. Not heavy, not yeah. light. Yeah, and if you're if you're struggling with that water intake, take the second flask and keep it D um, unempty and just in the holder. And then as you're further into your day and you see, oh, I'm actually going to need the extra one, fill it up at one of the aid stations. Then with precision hydration, I was thinking to just 
I don't know what the right thing is to do because sweat rate's going to be wildly different through this race, and I never really need I mean, that no, much that electrolyte. Is what it is. The temperature isn't necessarily the equation; it's your sweat rate. Yeah, but you start hot, topped off, and hydrated. So, you know, once again, just go with an al- alternating what you're used to. Um, like if you typically do, you know, two water, one electrolytes, you know, I will go similar and then take the caps with you so that then if you need more, you just pop a tablet or two. Yeah, that's a darn good idea. So I'll do both. Cause those are easy and you have done, then you're independent, right? The part that I love about the caps is that you're independent on the course. You take a little tray of caps put them in your vest. And then next thing you know, you're just drinking water and every third flask, you just pop a tablet or two and then that you're just continue drinking water. <laughs> yeah. You're not talking about the dissolvable ones, right? You're talking about the, the salt pills. Yes. Okay. I was thinking of just doing the salt pills and this is going to sound like a stupid reason, but the ones that dissolve in water, they like make that annoying noise when you run. It's you know what's even more fun is that it's annoying everybody around you more. I used to, I did an Ironman once in Mexico. Here we go. And I, <laughs> I did, it was awesome. I was on the front of the race and um, I had a few people around me and at, at, at a T2, I had a Mentos <laughs> plastic, you know, container, you know, uh-huh. where they, but I always emptied those before the race and put like Advil and salt into it, into the same thing. So I'd have my Advil and my salt in that little Mentos capsule holder, right? But the problem is those things, every stride would rattle, right? Oh, it's <laughs> maddening. And they would drive the competitors nuts. It drove me nuts, of course, but I noticed quickly it drove them nuts. <laughs> they yeah, more like, nuts than you. <laughs> exactly. And then I started just rattling them like crazy. And then I started changing the routine of it. It was hilarious. So eventually they dropped off. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger somewhere is like, excellent. Well done. <laughs> There's hope for you yet. Yes. Mentos, the fresh maker. Uh, the destroyer of focus for everyone who's not you. Turn it off. Stop doing that. I got yelled at. It was great. Yeah. It's like, oh, I need these bells in Yosemite for no reason. So never mind. More cowbell. That'd be the best. I have to run with this cowbell. <laughs> My great grandfather died holding this cowbell and I told him I would run. yeah what a power move oh anyways okay back to reality um not planning on bringing anything else except a hat no sunglasses a cell phone airpods which i'll probably not use once and that's it like is there anything else you can think to even bring a car key no (laughs) nobody's gonna steal that car of yours (laughs) that's true It's it's a, it's a perfectly respectable Camry. <laughs> it gets good mileage. Yes, exactly. You can leave the keys in the ignition. I think it'll still be there. Yeah, fair. <laughs> okay. So thanks for that. I mean, the bike in the back is worth more than the car. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's actually true. It is. Oh. So. Cool. Well, that's it then. Um, we have a race. I was going to pack a bunch of food to have at the finish line so I can just start yeah. getting restored right away. What about breakfast? How is that going to work out? I'm going to make it the night before and bring it in Tupperware. It's going to be steel cut oats with blueberries and coffee. Okay. Yeah. Right. And a banana. Sorry. And a banana. And that's enough? You'll make enough? Yeah. I make a ton okay. and I eat it until I feel full and then I stop. I don't know the calories. And timing is going to be when I wake up. It's going to be it's going to be an hour. No, it's not after I wake up, obviously. So it's going to be probably an hour forty-five, hour and a half before is like at the latest. Okay. Yeah. Give yourself some time time to digest that. Yeah. And my my thought is because so I think any time a run starts with an uphill, it's a total blessing because one, you get warmed up and it's low impact, and two, you get to digest everything. <laughs> Well, then you also want to hope there's a porta potty at the top of the climb if you're digesting everything. Did not think about that contingency, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that is why we had this conversation, Chris. So you could tell me that well, I in your vest, you can bring some, um, you know, bathroom wipes and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah I have them in a little um, Ziploc uh, bag, yeah. and they just take up no space and no room or weight. Good. 
Yeah, I like my vest. I mean, I like having uh, some sort of a security blanket in my vest, meaning that it has my food, it has my drink, it has my connection to bringing myself back from the dead, which sometimes these ultra runs do to us. And so therefore, it's like, just keep my keep my vest on. And, you know, there's something to that, that just it has, you know, from band-aids to aquaphor to all the little things to ensure that I can get from point A to point B. What's aquaphor? It's like uh, for for blisters and stuff. Oh, okay. Like lotion or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But it's magical. That's good to know. Yeah. Once you have uh, infants, you know the magic of aquaphor. Oh, there it is. Okay. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) So... So where I'm going with this is like the one downside to a vest, I think, is obviously the heat that your back is where you shoot, lose a ton of heat energy. And if you put a giant blanket on it, then it's not good. In this race, I don't think it's going to be hot enough to worry about. And also there's two aid stations where the distances are great enough that it's not worth dicking around. You have water. Pour water on you. Pour water down your back. It's 70s. If you pour water on you in the 70s, it's going to cool you off very quickly. Yeah, not worried. My um, yeah, this is nineties. So the whole purpose of this race is to find out if there's any holes in my game or weaknesses with altitude or anything like that, and then to plan the back half of the season around it. Right. So this is very much a test. But one one of my dreams, and I really want to do this because I've never seen it done before. Although I'm sure someone has, is to double Nathan water belt it. <laughs> so have two fanny packs simultaneously with two water bottles and my phone in one and all the gels in the other. What do you need your phone for? You know, I really don't need it, technically speaking, as a backup plan in case something goes horribly wrong, then I can call. That's literally my thought process. Yeah. I, w- I mean, I would not bring my phone. It's an organized race. and um... Yeah. And I do have the GPX loaded on the Garmin, which in case I miss a mile, a turn marker, which there are many, then that's a nice backup plan. It just yells at you if you get it wrong, basically. So that's nice. And yeah. yeah, I mean, maybe leaving the phone is not the worst idea. Six hours of communing with nature and other people is probably not the worst idea. And then obviously, if you leave a phone in the car, you turn it off so that, well, I guess I'm not in San Francisco, so no one's going to steal it. But <laughs> if I was in San Francisco and you leave a phone in the car, that car is getting broken into in five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody with a Wi-Fi scanner is taking that thing. So <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think you're good. And as always, you leave nothing on the course, right? That's the the final check in with yourself um we when we are able to project the remaining distance with the pain remaining um that switch in our head hopefully goes on further and further back from the finish line as more we gain more experience and as we gain fitness and again look for it um, this weekend Look for, all right, I have six miles to go. I know what six miles feels like. And no matter how much it will hurt or increasing the effort, these last two, three miles will hurt. At least I can project it out for another 30 minutes or for another 35 minutes or for another 27 minutes. And then you go from there. So again, it just, there's nothing, not worse. That's the wrong description, but it's just... I've, and we've discussed this, I feel that you, you do a dishonor to yourself, to, to the racing, to the, the gods of racing, to the whole energy field of this entire thing by not respecting the course yourself, the training, the sacrifices, the work, the sport, um, by not giving it your all on an event day so that you can look in the mirror at night and go, you know what? I left nothing out there. Could there have things been better in training leading up to this? Sure, I can always point a finger at that, but it's more a question of, all right, but today, what did I do today to ensure that I left nothing out there? That's the key.
cool. Check. Check.